right, let's go ahead and stand tonight. How's everybody doing? All right, is it, somebody asked me if it's warm enough. Anybody, is it warm enough for you? Maybe a few more degrees, degrees will be all right. <laughs> um, you know, my, I, I figured out, though, summertime in Texas, I have two, I have, I have hot water and I have less hot water. You know, I hadn't found the cold water yet. Uh, but uh, anyway, glad you're here. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight as we continue our study in the book of Ruth. Uh, we want to open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, again, one of the things we want to continue praying for is uh, for rain. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about when the heavens are shut up and so we want to pray uh, for rain in our community, and, and actually, we need rain all everywhere. Uh, so, so let's pray for uh, a physical rain, but then we also want to pray for the spiritual rain. Uh, we need revival. Again, uh, I'm still alarmed with all the stuff that's going on online, and, and uh, I mean, online, in our nation. <laughs> My brain is, I'm, you have that? My brain is just hot, and it just ran, I mean, just... Yeah, nothing makes sense hardly anymore. But, uh, I mean, we need revival in, in our nation in a, in a bad way. So let's pray. Alma? I need to go fishing. Yeah, no. No, I'll, I'll take your comment earlier. I'm chicken. In fact, if I'm near water, I want to be in the water, under the water, actually. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. And, uh, Lord, what a joy to be able to come together and, uh, study your word, Lord. I thank you for the the, the commonality that brings us together, and the and the fellowship that happens, and the friendships and relationships. Lord, you created us for community, and Lord, we're thankful for our community. We're thankful, uh, Lord, as we learn and grow together, and uh, new families come in, we learn and grow with them. Lord, thank you for that treasure that we have, and the privilege of prayer. Lord, hands went up tonight, Lord, and online. I know there are many people that need a touch from you, and God, I'm just glad that you're able. Uh, that you hear us, we, you know what we need, and you respond to those needs. And I just pray, Father, whatever that need is tonight, Lord, give us confidence that when we ask in faith, Lord, you hear us, and we receive from you by that faith. I pray, God, for those that need healing. I pray, Father, for those that uh, need some encouragement, those that need financial blessings. Lord, we just pray that you would, uh, Lord, just rain down showers of blessings. Lord, let it happen in our lives and those that are online. And we pray, uh, for all the ministries on campus tonight, that you would be exalted and lifted up in everything. And, Lord, we pray tonight for rain in our community and our, uh, around our state and, and, and adjoining states. Lord, we just need rain. Uh, Lord, just saturate the earth with, with your rain. And then, Lord, our spirits, Lord, saturate us with the latter rain of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we pray for revival in our nation. Lord, there's so much division and hatred and all kinds of things that we see, Lord. I just pray, God, uh, Lord, we know it's a spiritual thing. Uh, Lord, what we see manifest is really a spiritual battle that has been launched and waged and, and is getting more aggressive, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be uh, emissaries of the light, that we, st that we stand because light always penetrates through the darkness, Lord. And I, I just pray you'll be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. While you're turning there, again, a couple of announcements. Um, don't forget, tomorrow is our food distribution day. I, I, I know that it's going to be hot. Uh, and... You know, God bless you for your sacrifice and your service. We will have 
tents out there. We'll have plenty of water out there um, to uh, make sure that everybody's safe. And, you know, we, we're certainly not slave drivers. It's just, you know, it, it, the need's there and we need to do it. Um, and so, uh, again, online, if you're, if you're volunteering, be at the Yellow Jacket Stadium. There was some meeting here at 930 to load up, and then we'll be out there by 10 getting everything unloaded and processed and ready to go. Um, if you know anybody needs food, we have food for 200 families. Uh, we'll be out there ready for that. Also, don't forget, Sunday I'll continue on with a uh, our Hot Topics for Hot Times uh, series. This week we'll be talking about abortion. Now, the thing I want to say about this is that, um, as, as I, you know, again, I want God's Word to weigh in on all these hot-button issues that we're facing as a nation, but there is no condemnation in that. I, I know quite a few people personally that uh, have had abortions, and they do wrestle with guilt and, and stuff like that from those decisions, and this is not about that. Uh, you know, one of the things that we need to know, abortion is not the unpardonable sin, and so we, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we, uh, we, it comes across. This is, I said it Sunday, this is not about hate, it's not about condemnation, it's about getting God's Word with clarity on all of these hot-button issues that are happening, because there are a lot of people that have been misled by talking points in our society. Uh, and if we don't have God's truth, then we are subject to falling. You know, the Bible talks about the deception in the last day. If we are not anchored in the truth of God's Word, then we are easy prey for deception. And we don't want to do that. I want to, I want to walk in honor of God and uh, honor Him in, in my life and through the Word. So that's going on. Uh, we got, uh, what else is there? Something else that was on my brain. See, I'm telling you, it's just all... It's, it, it's, it's at the boiling point. <laughs> you know, so uh, anyway, it may come back to me later on. Uh, uh, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're, again, we're in our Kinsman Redeemer, uh, Kinsman, we're in our series, uh, A Story of Redeeming Love, and tonight's lesson is Kinsman Redeemer. Um, I'm not going to read the entire, uh, oh, I know what I was, was going to say. See, I told you it'd come to me. Um, we are going to have Sunday, at, right after service, a hospitality uh, meeting. So anybody that would like to be involved in, because this is one area I think that we could excel a little bit better than what we do. I think we're hospitable, but having people that are specifically uh, uh, in that hospitality group to welcome people coming in, I think is important. So if you're interested, if you're not plugged in somewhere, you would like to be part of the hospitality group, uh, you know, greeters, things of that nature, uh, please plan to join us for just a short a uh, few moments right after service on Sunday, um, and uh, anyway, so let's let's read our text. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, chapter three. Uh, we only have a couple more weeks in this, but uh, I, I do want to read just a few few verses. Uh, uh, tonight's lesson is entitled "Kinsman Redeemer." This is going to be an interesting teaching tonight because uh, we're going to get into the most uh, the most. Uh, I'm not going to say it, it's peculiar. That's probably a good word. The most peculiar proposal in the Bible. So Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, She's getting dolled up. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man 
until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And we'll stop there. And may the Lord add his blessing to his word. When I, when I, when I read that story, I kind of get comical because uh, nobody wants to uncover my feet and, and certainly don't want to lay by my feet. Uh, so I've always I've always been amused at this at at this story. So so let me set this up tonight. Last week, as we finished with chapter two, actually we didn't get all the way through. So I kind of narrate the last part of chapter two. Uh, uh, one of the things that I pointed out last week is you can see the hand of God again. Remember the hero of the story of Ruth. It's not Naomi, and it's not Ruth, even though both of them are noteworthy. It's not Boaz. It, it actually is the un, un, unseen hand of God who's working behind the tragedy, turning it into a triumph, taking the mess that their life was in and giving them a powerful message that you and I are studying tonight. So so he's the hero. God, the unseen hand of God, is the hero in this story. So last week, we we could see how God was starting to work his plan for Naomi and Ruth. Again, first thing, we see the hand of God when they, are, when they're, when they arrived at Bethlehem. Now, remember, Elimelech and, and, and Naomi and their two boys left to Moab. They all died. Uh, the boys and dad died in Moab. She stayed 10 years and then heard that there was bread or food back in Bethlehem, Bethlehem being the house of bread. Uh, so, so we begin as they make their journey. Of course, you know the exchange between Ruth and uh, Orpah, her sister, left, and we know she drops off the pages of history. Ruth says, you know, where you go, I'll go, and your people be my people. And so she makes that great declaration of commitment. Most scholars say that's where her commitment to God was initiated. She was saved right there. Uh, so when they get back, again, you see how God's working his plan. When they get back, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I went away full. I came back empty. Uh, so she comes back, and again, look at what we see. The first thing that we see is that when they arrive at Bethlehem, it just so happened, I love that, just so happened to be harvest time. Now, uh, they had spent 10 long years in a drought wondering, uh, and again, Naomi in particular, wondering what she had done to upset God. Remember, she came back and said, he did this to me. Remember? She blamed God, rightly so. Again, nothing happens in our life uh, that is not run through God. He either allows or causes all things to happen. So she had right theology there, and I said, she, nowhere in the Scriptures do we see any indication that she was abandoning her faith. What we do see, she was br- a bruised believer. She had a wounded spirit because there was tragedy that had befallen her that she didn't understand. And, and like many of us, we, we, we struggle with those things too. How many of us, you know, like we get an unexpected, something breaks down and we, we have, you know, zero money to fix it. Or we have, no, we have more month than we have money. Or we have uh, more mouths to feed in the house, but we didn't have less food. Uh, she didn't understand all the dynamics that were going on. So she was wounded. So she comes back and it's harvest time. Uh, it's 10 long years in a drought, wondering what she had done to upset God. And she walks back into Bethlehem, and the, the harvest is bountiful. The next thing we see is when Ruth got up one day, as they had gotten there and settled, she got up one day and asked to go glean in the fields. Neither of them expected the day to unfold the way that it did. Ruth 
uh, intended to work the fields to get enough food. You got to uh, again. This was the law, the law. God told them leave some of the, f- the the grain in the field. When you drop something, don't pick it up. Leave it for the poor to come by and pick it up. God's always made provisions for the poor. And so He said, don't pick it up. Leave it, and they call those gleaners. They go in and they glean the fields. They pick up what's left or what was dropped. So her intent was to go to the fields, glean, pick up the grain for her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Give, she was basically trying to find food for survival. Uh, never in her wildest dreams should, could she have imagined meeting Boaz. And learning that she was gleaning in his fields, uh, she never could imagine that. And, and furthermore, that he was a relative of Elimelech. She could not have imagined that. Again, I love the way the scripture says, it says, and, and again, in their fields, you got to understand, it was a huge farm, and there were, it, it was, it, they parceled out their, their fields. So it wasn't like uh, Boaz was, was over here and somebody else was over here. It was one big field that was marked by their cornerstones. And the Bible says she just so happened, just so happened to be in Boaz's field. So you see the story, the hand of God working in that situation. You know, she could never have imagined meeting Boaz and, and, and that he would be so kind and gracious to her. You know, again, he protected her. Again, we talked about this last week. He protected her by instructing her to glean only in his fields. Now, she's a, she's a foreign single wi- or widow lady, which could have been very dangerous. And so Boaz says, look, only stay in my field. So what is he doing? He's given a form of protection. Um, Stay close to my female servants. He told her to drink water from the jars that the men drank from and then invited her to eat at their table. Again, just a tremendous grace that was unexpected. He instructed his servants uh, to toss handfuls of barley. So not only was she gleaning what they missed, but he instructed his harvesters to throw some off to the side for Naomi to pick up. We used to sing a song, there shall be showers of blessing. That's what that is, showers of blessing. Uh, in fact, she gathered that day we, uh, 30 to 40 pounds and took it home uh, and, and also the leftover grain that she had had for lunch. So, again, last week, one of the things we said is that Boaz represents Christ, okay? He's a type of Christ who gives us way more than we deserve. Naomi is a Moabite, God had told the Israelites, have nothing to do with the Moabites. You and your descendants, and, and for generations there, you don't have anything to do with them. But she comes, and, and again, as Boaz, she, uh, again, grace is giving us unmerited favor. She had no merit. She was not of the house of Israel. She has no merit whatsoever. She was, she, again, think about it. We all identify as Ruth, who came with nothing, she was lost, she was hopeless, but in Boaz, she found everything she needed. We're the same way. We are lost and undone without Christ, but when we come to him, in him we find everything. Uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we, have every, we, have, we have all that we need, even in eternal life. So when Ruth arrives back home, okay, so this is where we are. We finish chapter 2, she arrives back home with the fruit of her labor. Uh, Naomi has no idea of Ruth's day. You know, they didn't, have, they didn't text every 10 minutes and see what was going on. So she had no idea what was happening at, uh, with Ruth's day. So she doesn't know what field she had gone to to glean. And so in verse 19, and I didn't read that far, but in verse 19, 
uh, she asked, she said, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Now, the interesting thing here, um, uh, this, is, this is in chapter 2. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I, that's not 319, that's 219. My bad. I couldn't read my writing. <laughs> um, so that's, a, that's the latter part of chapter 2. That's, she said, okay, where did you gather barley today? And may the Lord bless that man. Now, now I think, if, if, again, if you're noticing the story, when Naomi gets back, she says, don't call me Naomi. The na- name Naomi means the pleasant one. She said, I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. She's hard. She's wounded. She's, she's, she's hurting. But now you can start seeing that she, the light, how many's ever had that epiphany? You know, like, ah. Well, now you start seeing these aha moments with Naomi. I think she's seeing the light come on. That even though she accused God of bringing all this disaster and catastrophe on her, now she's starting to recognize that, hey, there's something going on here that I didn't see happening. Again, she was bitter when she got there, but now she prays a blessing over the man who owned the field. So maybe she's starting to see God's handiwork uh, working things out for her good. So Ruth tells her that she worked in the field of Boaz. Naomi says in, uh, in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2, may the Lord bless him because he's not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Now say, so what is that? Well, in the Old Testament, the law allowed for a close, a close relative to step in and redeem a family member under certain circumstances. You can find that fully described in Leviticus 25. It allowed a family redeemer to buy back a family member that may have been sold into slavery uh, to, to settle a debt or to purchase uh, land sold under hardship. And in extreme situations, it allowed the redeemer to avenge the blood of a family member that had been killed. Deuteronomy chapter 25, it allowed a man to marry his dead brother's former wife. Uh, it allowed that that w- that way the man could raise children for the, his uh, for his deceased brother and keep the family name alive. That's why it's family redeemer. But here's the kicker to the story: the law of kinsman redeemer was never meant to apply to foreigners. It was never meant to apply to foreigners. It was a family law that had been given by God to guide Jewish the Jews in times of family crisis. A Jewish man could marry a Jewish woman uh, to help his deceased brother. Again, that's what it was for. It was the family law of taking care. They didn't have SSI or SSDI. They didn't have SNAP or CHIPS or TWEET. No, it was, anyway, whatever those things are. They didn't have any of that. So this is God's way of taking care of the family, making sure needs are being met. The law never meant to apply to marriage between a Jewish man and especially a Moabite woman. So this is where we find ourselves in chapter 3 tonight. Chapter 3 is the strangest marriage proposal in the Bible. I mean, here's what we have. Now, think about this. We have a woman in that time. Remember, in, in biblical time, in this particular time, women had no rights. So, so in this story, we have a woman uh, ask a man to marry her, and he agrees. Now, that's a, that's a bit unusual, but that's not the end of it. Not only is it a woman, it's a foreigner who asked a Jew to marry her. So that's even a little bit stranger. Again, very unlikely. But it doesn't stop there. We realize that 
he had told her she could come and work in his field. So, so now you have an employee asking the boss to marry her. And it gets stranger. The, young, the woman is younger and approaches an older man at midnight on the threshing floor to ask her to marry her. <laughs> I mean, so now you see why Benjamin Franklin used this story to intrigue the French. What a, what a wonderful story. Again, it's, it's really irregular. I mean, this, this is really bizarre. I mean, this, so here's what the story teaches. It teaches us that God has his ways. Remember what the scriptures say? Your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Again, this story teaches us that God has his ways, and sometimes those ways seem very strange to us. I mean, I, think, I remember one time when Peter needed to pay taxes. What did he do? He said, go down and catch fish. I've been fishing for a long time. That's what I've been fishing for. Now you understand my secret. I've been looking in that fish's mouth to pay my taxes. <laughs> he did it once. You know, I, I, you, ever, you ever sit down and reminisce about how you met your, your spouse, your husband, your wife? I love, I love hearing stories of how people, how people met. Some, some are amusing. You know, some are bizarre. <laughs> Uh, some are setups by well-meaning friends. I mean, know what I'm talking about? Um, sometimes people don't want to say how they met because it, it embarrasses them. Maybe, maybe it was a sinful act that brought them together, but nonetheless, they're, they're married. I mean, but I enjoy hearing stories. Uh, you know, mine and Sheila's is an interesting story. I mean, just, to, just how all that's set up. And again, it just so happened, you know. Uh, for us, we just so happened to park next to each other at church. And it just so happens that we're backing out at the same time. I turn this way, she turns this way, our eyes cross, and I'm like, uh-huh. And that set out on a journey to meet this bride that September will be 36 years, I think. <laughs> Regarding Ruth and Boaz, nothing about their meeting or their marriage is normal. Again, understand that nothing about it is normal. Uh, Ruth didn't have many good options. I mean, today, today Ruth might have taken out an ad in a in a in a romantic novel, a, a, a periodical, or maybe on a, a eHarmony or something. It, and it may have been an article that said, "Widowed woman from Moab seeks a godly Israelite man of character for long walks in the barley fields and quiet evenings by the fire, must like children." I mean, today she could probably do something like that, but. But that was not an option 3,000 years ago. So Ruth 3, the bottom line, Ruth chapter 3, tells us how a good man and a good woman found each other and ended up getting married. And it's proof positive that God works in and through our choices to accomplish his will. Remember, God knows the beginning from the end. And everything is aligning for his end game, if you will. You and I, we live in this linear world. We can only see right now. We can't see the big picture. So what we're doing right now, again, it's working in his plan. Nothing, nothing fought, the, the COVID thing, all of this stuff, it never stopped the plan of God. It, it never stopped it. You know, God used that for whatever his purposes are. Uh, again, so, so let's break this down real quick tonight. Number one, uh, first thing we notice is that let's talk about a risky plan, okay? Harvest time had come, the, and that's the key to everything. It, harvest time is the key to this entire story. Uh, so after many fear, years of famine, there's a good harvest. That's why Naomi, again, who's a relative of Boaz, knew where he would be that night. She knew where he'd be. Uh, when you read the, 
winnowing or threshing floor. It doesn't mean a barn. That's not where it was. Imagine a flat top on a, a, a flat place on top of a hill. That's where the threshing floor was. That was, a, that was a place where they could, when they would, would beat that grain, they could take it and throw it up, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and the grain would fall to the ground. So that, that's what you have going on here. It was a happy time of the year because the farmers are now, glean, uh, their, their, their investment, their sowing was now being reaped. And so it was a very festive time of year, a very happy time of year. Months earlier, they had planted barley, and now and, and they waited for the rains to come, and the rain came, and, 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 and now they're harvesting. And as a landowner, Boaz would be at the threshing floor to oversee his workers. He would also, as the owner, spend the night there to protect the crop from thieves. Again, this is why Naomi knew exactly where Boaz would be that particular night. So in verses 1 through 3, uh, notice this is Naomi's plan. Ruth has, this is Naomi's plan. Ruth didn't, it wasn't her plan. Uh, remember, Ruth didn't go to the field looking for a husband. She went to the field looking for food. Naomi, starting to see the hand of God working behind the scenes, she and Ruth already had experienced the kindness of Boaz. Now it was time to take the next step. Her plan was risky to say the least. And notice again, I've already read it, but look at verse 3. She said, wash and put on perfume. Uh, take a bath. Put on some perfume. Go get your best clothes. Go to the threshing floor. Don't let the men know that you're there until he has finished eating. So he's having dinner. Don't interrupt him. Uh, let him get done with that. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Now, that's a plan right there. That's a plan. The key to this is verse 2. Isn't Boaz our relative? She knew the law. Isn't Boaz our relative? Naomi had already, again, Naomi has already taken Ruth in and made her part of the family. See the wheels? You're now part of the family. Boaz is family. He's a kinsman redeemer, okay? Uh, and, and, and so what does is, uh, what is Naomi say? I mean, excuse me, uh, what does uh, Ruth say? Whatever you say. <laughs> Whatever you say. You know, Naomi knows all of, she knows that Boaz could rescue Ruth. She knows that Boaz could provide a home and a future for her. He and uh, uh, Ruth could also have a baby, which would preserve the name of her husband, Elimelech. Again, she knows all of this stuff. All of this was no doubt in her mind when she concocted that plan. You know, some, there are some, you can read them, there are some Bible commentators that take a very dim look at this plan. In fact, they, they think it is borderline immoral what she did. Regardless, it was a risky plan. It was a dangerous plan, a, a, a particularly a foreigner, for a, for a young foreigner to go to the threshing floor at night dressed in that fashion. I mean, again, you can think of a dozen ways this might go wrong, right? Best laid plans. You know, this story's in the Bible because it's true. Not because we need to do what Ruth did. I'm not suggesting that, uh, you know, a way to discover your future husband is to find out where he's sleeping and go put on your best clothes and perfume and go uncover his feet and lay down at the bottom of the bed. I'm not suggesting that. It's in the Bible because it's a true story. I don't, and, and I don't think Naomi had bad motives. I don't think, I think she was looking for preservation. I think she was looking 
for the blessings of God, knowing how God had set things up. Ruth and Boaz had already met in the harvest field. She had already made a positive impression. He knew that Naomi was, I mean, excuse me, Ruth was a woman of character. She was a Proverbs 31 woman. He already knew that. He knew about her loyal love to Naomi and how Ruth had left Moab to live with her people, to identify with her God and her people. Plus, he saw her working in the field and was intrigued and amazed at how how industrious she was and how she worked, and she worked hard. Her reputation had preceded her. He had already welcomed her, and he warned his men, don't you touch her, invited her to eat at his table and gave her grain and gave her more. Did Boaz have feelings for her after that first encounter? Well, maybe. Again, the interesting thing, I said this last week, nowhere in the Bible does it describe what Ruth looked like. Boaz was attracted to the quality of the woman, not the facade of the woman. I mean, we have, we have so much today to, 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 to doll up the outside when there's a lot of people that are rotten to the core. This, again, we have no idea. I mean, everything I've ever seen about Ruth as far as Hollywood's version and things like that, I've always, in illustrations, I've always seen her to be a beautiful woman. She, I would think she probably was, but we don't know that for sure. I mean, she could have looked like she fell out of an ugly tree. But she had a quality about her that, that caused him to notice her and say, wait a minute, who's this, whose woman is that? There was something about her. Again, this is a great lesson because we spend, we spend so billions of dollars a year in this country to nip and to tuck and to, uh, to suck and to you know, reposition and to do all, augment and, and all this stuff. To doll up the outside when the real issue is we should be working on the inside. That inner beauty that, that comes out is a lot more attractive than that beauty on the outside that fades away. Again, I think Boaz, he may have had feet. I mean, again, we don't know this. This is inference probably for sure. But he knew that it would be difficult for a woman of her background to come to Bethlehem and survive. So think about it. Boaz, however, could not approach her. Again, he was a man of noble character. How would it look for a man of noble character to go to a foreign, foreign woman and take advantage of her or to even suggest anything? No, but Boaz could not. I mean, again, the lines were not blurred with him. He was an upright man and an honorable man. So he wasn't, there's no way he could have approached her. She was a young woman, a, a widow, a Moabite, and now an employee. <laughs> and in that culture and at that time, that just that meeting cannot happen. It wouldn't happen. So understanding all of that, what does Naomi do? She hatches this incredible, incredible plan. She was the very first matchmaker. Matter of fact, somebody can start an online business called the Naomi. <laughs> she started. She I, I, again. Who could blame her? I mean, she wanted to see. Uh, who could blame her for wanting to see Ruth and Boaz? get married. He was a good man. She was a good woman. I mean, again, that's already been established. If Boaz can't propose to Ruth, then maybe she can propose to him. So again, the details, let's go into that, about her dress, her perfume. Again, that, that's just setting up the scene, okay? That's how, that would show Boaz how serious she was. You know, this wasn't just some fly-by-night thing. This was a serious transaction or proposal, 
far from being some sort of midnight. And, and again, it's very easy to read this story, and, and people who are critics of the Bible would read this story and say, well, this was just nothing more than sheer seduction. She went and seduced an old man with her charm and her beauty. But they're missing the whole point of the story. Uh, far from that some sort of midnight seduction, here, here's the way, here's the only, probably the only way for this man and this woman to come together in a relationship that before the foundation of the world God had ordained. That's a weird thing to think about. But this scenario is probably, again, in our reasoning, probably the only way it could have happened. And notice how specific Naomi is. Later on, you can read this in chapter 3, but she says to, she, Naomi knew where Boaz would sleep and that he would sleep with his head facing inward and his feet facing outward. She knew that. Uh, Ruth had defined how to get to the threshing floor uh, undetected, find out where he was sleeping, wait till he'd finished having dinner, and finally, when he was fast asleep, uncover his feet. Why did she do that? Because that would guarantee that he would wake up with his feet being cold. Anybody ever have your feet uncovered and you kind of wake up, you want your feet covered? That's kind of the idea here. Uncover his feet. That way the cool of the evening, of night, will cause him to stir and to wake up. And when he does, you'll be there. That, that was the plan. And the surprising part is verse number 5. She said, I'll do everything you say. <laughs> I'll do everything you say. She, and again, I think she understood the risk. I mean, there was really a lot of reasons for her to say, uh, you know, uh, Mom, I, I don't think so. No. But Ruth took the risk. She took risks ever since she came into Naomi's life. She was a risk taker. Behind, here's the thing, behind Naomi's plan stood God who orchestrated every single detail. I mean, think about it, including the cold feet that would cause Boaz to wake up at midnight and see what was going on. See, faith means sometimes taking a risk. Actually, it, it just that's faith. It just means taking a risk and leaving the results to God. Now, I'm not talking presumption. I'm just talking about stepping out in faith and leaving the results to God. When, when the sun went down that night and Ruth left for the threshing floor, can you imagine Naomi back home uh, pacing nervously, not knowing what's going to happen next? This could have went bad, really bad. Here's a noble man. A woman approaches him at midnight. He could have probably done some really bad stuff. That's how faith works. We take a step forward, following the light we have, trusting God to bring us out in the right place. You know what? Sometimes things don't work out as we plan. That's okay, too. Our part is to step out and trust God. You know, but in things that we've launched that we felt, you know, honestly, we felt this was the right time, and it wasn't the right time. Again, faith requires us to not sit and talk about it, but actually to try to do something. The second thing is this. Look at the proposal. Midnight comes, everything's quiet, everybody finished dinner, they have been finished rejoicing over the harvest. Everything's quiet, suddenly the man stirs, realizing that his feet's un uncovered. When I used to be in the military, we'd go out and we would crawl, you know, we'd sleep out under the stars. I mean, we had hammocks, I couldn't sleep in hammocks, never, never could. We'd sleep out, we'd throw our mats on the floor, on the ground, and crawl in our sleeping bag. And, and I do understand this story because if my feet were out of 
underneath the cover, it bothered me. I, I don't know why it was. It just bothered me. So here's a man laying there, and he stirs around midnight, knowing, knowing, realizing that his feet's uncovered. So he kind of stirs too, and through the darkness, he sees a form of a woman lying at his feet. Now, how would you respond to that? <laughs> it, he was shocked, and, and, and it was troubling. I mean, again, the, probably the question's flooding his mind, is she a prostitute? I mean, again, that, that's been around for a long time, by the way. So, so was she a prostitute? I mean, after all, during harvest, I mean, you could do just about anything you want. You could, again, you could have sexual favors uh, at, at, at a threshing floor. So, so, so it's, who is she? So Boaz asked the question, who are you? Verse 8, no doubt shocked him. He, she says, I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. And then notice what she says. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. That, you know, to us, we read it, we don't fully comprehend that, but that is a straightforward marriage proposal right there. Take me under your wing because you're a family uh, redeemer. It, 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 it could be translated, spread your covering over me. It's, Ruth, it's Ruth's way of saying in our language, marry me and bring me under your protection. That's what she says right there. She uses the same word, the same Hebrew word that Boaz used in chapter 2, verse number 12, when he described the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Same word, cover, protect. He knew exactly what she meant. And, and again, as I have come to God for my, and her thing is, as I've come to God for my spiritual refuge, I am now coming to you for my personal refuge. Take me under your wings. If Boaz had been a lesser man, again, you could see how this could have got really, really bad. If he'd been a lesser man, he might have tried to take advantage of her. He, pro- he could have said something like, well, you know what, let's just sleep together tonight and, and I'll think about it in the morning. He could have said that. But he didn't do that. He responds in three ways that, again, reveal the character of this man, Boaz. First thing he does He prays that God will bless her, in verse 10, because of the kindness to him, in his mind, the kindness to him is greater than her earlier kindness to Naomi. Here's what Boaz knows. She could have married. This is why I think she probably was an attractive lady. She could have married a younger man for possession or, or for passion, for possession or money, but she didn't. The second thing he does in verse 11 is he agrees to do what she asks because everyone knows she is a woman of noble character. He agrees. Again, it's the same word in Proverbs 31.10 of noble or virtuous woman. That's what he said. That's who she is. She's a virtuous woman. Though Ruth doesn't know it yet, Boaz has agreed to do more than she even asked. She wanted him to marry her, but he has promised to guarantee her future with him or without him. He makes a commitment to her. And you know what? The character of this man, he would have held up that commitment. But as we read this story, how many of you know that some stories don't go happily ever after? So when you, you know, if I was a writer, I, I would have went right on to a beautiful wedding and how wonderful this would have been. But that's not what happens in the story. There's a detour right in the middle of it. <laughs> Got to have drama right in the middle of it. See, Boaz is willing to marry her, but 
there's another man who is a closer relative to Elimelech than what he is. And again, under the family code, he has first rights of refusal. In other words, if, if, if there's going to be a family redeemer, the, fir- the closest to the family member is the one who would have the opportunity to redeem. So Boaz says, well, you know, it's like I'm, I'm not him. I, there's, there is someone closer. Verse 13, notice what he says here. He says, stay here tonight and in the morning if, if he wants. And again, he's talking about the closer one. He says, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. See, Boaz cares so much about Ruth and Naomi that he's willing for that other man to redeem Ruth, even if it meant that he could not marry her. He just wants their needs to be met. That's a good man. He's concerned about them, not himself. The third thing we notice about what he does when she proposes to him is that he protects her reputation. You read that in verses 14 and 15. Because what he, after he provides the pledge to Naomi, he tells her that she needs to leave before the sun comes up, okay? Uh, why did he do that? Anybody know? So that there wouldn't be any rumors. Again, here's a noble man of town and a young foreign woman. And if they wake up, everybody wakes up together and they see the two together. I mean, listen, gossip has been around forever. I mean, I, I know the National Enquirer hasn't been a, a magazine forever, but the National Enquirer mindset has been around forever. <laughs> Again, Boaz is considering Ruth, and he says, you know what, I want you to get up, I want you to leave before, before dawn, before the, so, while it's still dark, because I don't want there to be any rumors spread about you or us. And then he gives a gift of grain to her to take back to Naomi, six measures of barley, which is interesting to me because that weighs 60 to 90 pounds. So I'm picturing this foreign woman with 60 to 90 pounds of grain that she's taken back to her house. Uh, when I was in Germany, I was amazed at, at uh, and I don't mean this, that's probably, that's probably sexist to say that. I, I just, she, was a, she was a fit woman, strong. Strong, that's probably what I'm trying to I'm going to dig myself a hole. I better hush. So, so uh, he gives her that grain to take. You know what he's doing? He's giving her a dowry. He's giving Naomi a dowry, investing in them. A lesser man might have said something like, well, you know what? I'll marry you, Ruth, but I don't really care about Naomi. Not Boaz, because he wasn't a lesser man. The third thing is this. He was. Let's look at the waiting. Again, as I said, he accepted the proposal and said, I'll, I'll do as you ask, but there's someone else who has the first right of refusal. Again, if I was writing a story, I'd go straight to the wedding because it's such a beautiful picture that unfolds, but that's not how life works. <laughs> I mean, we wish it was, but that's not how life works. Every relationship has its ups and its downs, its sudden turns and its twists. When Sheila and I, uh, when I proposed to her, in 1986. Again, our, ours was a very short period of time. I, I, I first saw her in January of 86. We dated the first part of March of 86, went on our first date in March. I asked her to marry me in April, and we got married in September. So it was a real quick uh, turnaround. And uh, 
even at that, there was there was a moment where uh, after the engagement, there was a moment of, are you sure? I don't know if everybody goes through that, but but there was a time I would you know I'd call it cold feet or whatever. Everything just doesn't always go on happily ever after. Every relationship has its ups and downs. No doubt, Ruth. I mean, think about Ruth. She goes to to Boaz. She does what Naomi says. He agrees, but then he throws the kink in it and says, "But there's someone else." She's not met someone else. She's met Boaz. <laughs> And so she's got to now wait on that someone else to decide what they're going to do. So, so imagine she goes home, and on one hand, she's very excited because Boaz has agreed to take her on as his wife. But then she's deflated because now she's in, the, in limbo because she don't know. Number one, she doesn't know who the other one is. She's not met him. We have no indication that she has. And so now she's just kind of in limbo. What's going to happen? Don't you hate it when you have those moments? You know, she had every reason to smile because Boaz had not only welcomed her, he had promised to marry her if he could. <laughs> and don't that's hanging in the air, if he could, if he could. There was another man, a closer relative who, again, had that first right of refusal. Boaz couldn't be a kinsman redeemer until that first man turned it down. How, how's it going to happen? I mean, what if the other man decided to marry her? And then Naomi steps up and says in verse 18, My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. Now, the word wait can be translated as sit down. <laughs> so, so in my mind, I can picture Naomi, uh, excuse me, Ruth coming home and say, telling the whole events that had transpired that evening and, and now pacing the floor wondering, well, I wonder if that other man's going to step. I, I hope not. I really, I, I really want to marry Boaz. He's such a, such a nice, he's a good man. He, I, I don't know about this. Don't you imagine? She's just walking back and forth, you know, pacing up and down. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, in, maybe I'm adding, embellishing too much of the story. But, I, but, but Naomi says, hey, sit down. Sit down. We might say something like, hang on, sit tight. Wait. You see, sometimes the godliest thing that we can do is sit down and wait. What does the Bible say about waiting? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting is probably the hardest thing. Isn't that true? It's the hardest. Waiting, is, waiting time is not wasting, wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. Not wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. So as this chapter draws to a close, again, it seems like this story, this, this wonderful story has hit a snag. But again, God's working behind the scenes something they can't even imagine. We see that, number one, in how Naomi's heart is being warmed up. Remember, she came back and said, I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. But now all of a sudden, she's warming up. See, that's what grace does. Grace takes that old hard-hearted, person, takes out that heart of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh. That's what he's doing right here. The woman who came back bitter and empty now sees God working behind the scenes. And when she returned to Bethlehem, she was hungry and penniless, but that's all about to change. Ruth has been taking daring step, uh, uh, took that daring step of proposing marriage to Boaz. She, she does it in a, way that give, in a way that gives Boaz the option to say no but he's not about to refuse her. Certainly, 
the Lord has stirred up a love between these two people. Boaz has, ha- has acted with the highest character that we would expect of a man he, when he could have easily taken advantage in this situation. Again, no matter what happens in the story, Ruth will have a husband. <laughs> Either it's going to be Boaz or there is another man. <laughs> It'll be another man. So again, the snagging part of the story. Waiting is one of the hardest parts of the Christian life. I wish it weren't so. You know that song, He's Still Working on Me? I sing that regularly to myself because patience sometimes is it's a virtue and one that I miss often. Because oftentimes I go to the Lord, I'm, I'm in a 911 situation. And sometimes I want, I, I'm almost like I hear the Spirit say, slow your roll. Slow your roll. I got it. You know, we spend, I mean, think about it. We spend a big chunk of our lives waiting for things to happen. For every green light, it seems like there are five yellow ones and a half dozen red ones. <laughs> we wait whether we like it or not. We go to a, a drive-in that's uh, a, a drive through and it's talking about quick service, and you wait extraordinarily long. Fast lube, there's nothing fast about it. You sit there, you notice they changed the name. It used to be 10-minute lube. Now it's 45-minute lube. <laughs> that's, not on the, that's not on the sign, but that, that we don't, that's where we are. And in this case, as I close tonight, Ruth has to wait on Boaz to take care of the matter and hoping that it saw favorably, but maybe not. Listen, when faith can't do anything else, faith waits on the Lord. When it can't do anything else, and every one of us have times and seasons in our life where we can't orchestrate the next step, and we just have to wait on the Lord to align those things. And boys, but that's hard. Again, I, I, wish, I, could t- I wish I could tell you that it wouldn't be so, but that's not true. Waiting has its uses, though. And in my over 30 years of ministry, this is what I've discovered Waiting has the capacity to slow us down, give us time to think and to pray and to learn the lesson that God's in charge, not us. That's a hard lesson sometimes. As I close, Ruth 3 shows us how God works through our choices to accomplish His will for our lives. He uses Naomi's plan. As bizarre as that was, God uses that plan, Ruth's daring uh, Ruth's daring and Boaz's integrity bring them together to the brink of marriage. And again, though they don't know it yet, that union, as I've said throughout this study, will produce a child who will be the ancestor to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And it all started because Naomi said, go uncover his feet. It all started because a man had cold feet. I mean, to get that right down to it, it just started because a man had cold feet. (laughs) God works in mysterious ways. I want you to stand tonight as we wrap this up. This story is going to have a happy ending, but, hey, we're not there just yet. (laughs) We're not there just yet. We're we're hanging out. We're in the waiting game right now, Waiting waiting on the other man to make a decision whether he wants to get married or not. Again, we, we read this story from an Eastern mindset. It was written in a, uh, I mean, excuse me, a Western mindset. It was written in an Eastern mindset. 
So a lot of these things are strange and bizarre to us, but, but they had purpose and they had meaning. And, and again, even now when you go over there, uh, if you travel in the Middle East, they, their, their mindset, again, they think from an Eastern perspective on things, and, and, and it's difficult. You know, we have to be careful as Westerners. I remember when I, I taught, a, I taught a, a pastor's conference in South Africa, and I went over there, and, and after I was done, uh, the director of that area, he said, I, I just want to tell you that, he said, anytime you want to come over here, he said, you always have an open invitation. He said, because a lot of guys that come from the States come over here with this air about them, like they are smart and they're going to instruct these people on the ways of the Lord uh, when they don't understand how these people think. And he said, but you've come in and you've been very humble and you've, been, you've presented well and the people have responded very well. And he said, that's a rare thing. You know, and I'm not saying that to brag on myself. Please don't read that. It just, again, you, you understand cultures think different than we do. They, they think way different than we do. And, and so this story, there's a lot of bizarre things that take place, but it, it had its purpose and it has significant meaning. And as I close tonight, I, I, I guess the whole point of the, the story is that God continues to work through our, he will work through our decisions. And again, Paul said in Romans 8 and 28, and we know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God takes what you and I, we, we, plan, our, we plan our courses, but God orders our steps. God can take our plans, sometimes misguided as they are, and he can still work through those to accomplish his will. And maybe you're in a detour, right? You know, as I close tonight, and, and you online, let me just say this. Maybe you're in a waiting, maybe you're in a, a hovering pattern, a waiting pattern. See, that's where we leave this story. Again, there's something wonderful about to take place. We know it because we're reading it as history, but they don't know it. They're still living in the moment. And right now, Boaz is having to ask another man if he wants to marry Ruth. Ruth is in limbo because she wants to marry Boaz because he's a noble man of character but she doesn't know. Her, her life is in limbo. So maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're online tonight and your life is in limbo. Maybe you're in a waiting pattern right now, not really sure. I guess I just want to close this way and say God is working it out. He's working it out. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what he's going to do to arrange those things. But I promise you, if you'll trust God, he'll do his plan. He'll do his will. He'll do his will, and it'll be good. I want you to bow with me. And if that's you tonight, say, you know what, Pastor? I'm in, I'm in a waiting game, and patience is not one of those things I do well. And I just need, I, I'm just going to ask it this way. I just need God to help me in this waiting, holding pattern. You know, if you fly sometimes, you'll get close to an airport, and there may be too many planes coming in or whatever, and they get into what they call a holding pattern. And they may fly in a circle for 30, 45 minutes or an hour, just flying in a circle waiting for the opportunity to land. Maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe online that's where you are. You are hovering and just flying in a circle, just waiting. You have no idea what's going to happen. You're just waiting. And maybe just this lesson tonight is some encouragement to you and say, you know what, just hang on. God's working it. You can't see it, but he never stops working. If that's you here tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be able to wait on God. Just write him right back down. Amen. Amen. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well.
Father, right now, I thank you. Again, what a wonderful story. Again, we stand amazed at the, the, the beauty of it all and the wonder of how even without us even knowing, you're working all things for our good. And in this story, we see your hand working behind the scenes to accomplish a beautiful plan that will bring the Redeemer to, our, to the world. Father, the hands that went up tonight and those that are online tonight that are in holding patterns, I know it's tough to wait. It's tough to, to, to there's so many things that flood our minds and our emotions, wondering, well, what if this happens, and what if this happens, and what if it doesn't go our way? And, Lord, it just disrupts our spirit. It makes us edgy. It robs us of joy. Lord, tonight I pray that we can understand that even though we're waiting, Lord, you're working. You never stop working for us. And, Lord, I just pray that all the anxiety, all of the frustration, all of that stuff we just release to you. And, Lord, we just hand it off to you and say, Lord, it's your will be done. Not mine, but your will be done. Give us the faith and the confidence that you're working it for our good. Now, Father, I ask you to go with us and give us a wonderful, restful night. May we sleep soundly in you. May we wake up rejuvenated, revived. And, Lord, may we walk with the awareness that you are working all things for our good and for your glory. Bring us again on Sunday, should you tarry. I love and bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.